HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Sunday afternoon, and this is another dairy-filled episode of Cutting the Curd on the, Heritage, or on the Heritage Radio Network. Cutting the Curd is sponsored by Picnic, the brand-new uh, barbecue truck down in Battery Park City. Uh, and Cutting the Curd is engineered by Nat Wiener and produced by Jack Inslee. I'm your host, Dan Saxelby, and today I'm broadcasting live from one of my favorite places in the entire world, uh, which is Vermont specifically the shores of Lake Champlain, uh, literally on the shores of Lake Champlain at Shelburne Farm. Now, I've been trying to think a little bit about why I love Vermont so much and why it's so great. And, uh, you know, there are a plethora of reasons. It's, uh, it's mountainous, there are no billboards, it's green, and there's literally cheese stashed in just about every nook and cranny across the state. Well, not literally. Uh, that, would be, that would be a little bit gross, but uh, Vermont is home to the largest concentration of American cheesemakers, of American farmstead cheesemakers in the, in the country. Um, there is a higher percentage per capita of cheesemakers here than anywhere else. And here today at Shelburne Farm are over 30 cheesemakers who are all gathered together to spread the good word about artisan cheese for the Vermont Cheesemakers Festival. Um, the first incarnation of the Vermont Cheesemakers Festival was held uh, back, at Shel- or back in 1996 at Shelburne Farm uh, when the Vermont Butter and Cheese Company received an award from the U.S. Small Business Administration for uh, Small Business Persons of the Year. Um, and since then, there has not been uh, a festival specifically dedicated to Vermont cheese. Um, so this year is a watershed year, and it's very exciting. Uh, the festival boasts not only a terrific lineup of cheesemakers, but also winemakers, coffee roasters, bakers, chocolate makers, and a whole other host of artisan food producers, all from the Green Mountain State. 
So today uh, on our show, we're going to have three guests. We're going to be talking first with Allison Hooper, who is uh, owner of the Vermont Butter and Cheese Company, um, who is uh, the reason that this festival is taking place. Um, then we're also going to be talking with um, Alec from Shelburne Farms to discuss the sort of history of this, uh, this incredibly beautiful national historic landmark farm. And finally, we're going to be talking with Mark Fisher of Woodcock Farm, who is a cheesemaker and member of the Vermont Cheese Council. And uh, all these folks are going to tell us how this sort of perfect storm of dairy conspired or transpired um, and what is taking place at today's festival. So we're going to take a very quick break. And after the break, we're going to be talking with Allison Hooper of the Vermont Butter and Cheese Company. Um, I'm your host, Anne Saxelby, and my first guest today is Allison Hooper, owner and founder of the Vermont Butter and Cheese Company. Thanks for being here, Allison. Thanks for having me, Anne. On such a short notice, especially. I was uh, leaving frantic messages on Allison's answering machine this week, being like, I know you're really busy organizing the festival, but um, so it was very nice of you to take time out of your really busy day to talk cheese a little bit. Well, it's all happening today, so it's now or never. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, you said this festival has been in the making for quite some time. Uh, is that right? Well, we started talking about this uh, just about a year ago. Okay. Um, and really, uh, back in June of um, 2008, um, the Vermont Chiefs Council sort of batted around the idea of having some sort of event of our own, and um, I attended a meeting where there was a fairly informal discussion about that, and then later in the month at Vermont Butter and Cheese, we were trying to think of what we would do for our 25th anniversary of our business, and we thought, well, we should have a party or organize an event, and what really seemed to make sense was to bring back that festival that we uh, had so many years ago in 1996. Um, to Vermont, it seemed like the right time, and uh, and we felt that we had the wherewithal to make it happen. And make it happen, you have. It is an incredible thing. And well, first of all, congratulations on 25 years of your company. That's just uh, it's incredible. Yes, thank you. Um, and so, from 1996 to now, there's probably been an immense change in the cheese industry. Uh, um, you know, it seems like Vermont cheese is 
something that people know know well now and and know by name. But when you first got started, it wasn't like that. That was right. Um, back in 1984, uh, there was Vermont Cheddar for sure, um, but that was about it. And in fact, if you re- if you think back. Um, Americans weren't even eating goat cheese back then. So yeah. not only did we have to, uh, we weren't even thinking about branding a Vermont product, but just trying to get Americans to to put goat cheese in their mouth. That was our first project. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking probably to explain a little bit to our listeners, the Vermont Butter and Cheese Company, um, you know, uh, just to explain a bit about the, about the name and the nature of the business. It's not, uh, they do make fabulous butter um, and amazing fresh dairy products, but um, fresh goat cheese was really the first point of entry for you guys as a business. Isn't that right? That's right. And um, can, I know that you've told this story a million times, but would you mind telling us a little bit about um, your experiences and how you went from, uh, you know, how you became a cheesemaker, basically? Well, um, I was a French major in college. I went to Connecticut College, and I uh, did a junior year abroad in France and needed working papers, of course couldn't get them, and wrote to organic farmers around the country and landed myself um, an apprenticeship in Brittany on a farm. We we had goats and cows and sheep, and we made different kinds of fresh and aged goat cheeses, tome-style cow's milk cheese. We made wonderful cultured butter, creme fraiche, fromage blanc. We made charcuterie and saucisson sec with all of the uh, whey, Fed pigs. Um, it was just a wonderful uh, formation in food, and um, I really got bitten by the bug and thought, "Wow, Americans need these cheeses." You know, you live in France, you eat all this wonderful stuff, yeah. and you think, "Hmm, how come we're not doing this in the United States?" Yeah. Well, just a, a quick aside. I mean, unbelievable in our in our age now of just kind of uh, Googleification to think that you could have written, literally written letters to cheesemakers um, across France and made a connection with, with a family um, to do that is really uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think they were more curious about uh, meeting an American and seeing if they knew how to work than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously proved them wrong. Yeah, yeah, we, we, that's right. We, I, had to, uh, uh, I had to try to uh, dissuade them of all their belief systems of Americans and hamburgers and uh, bad food and bad politics. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's funny, that, that, and that's a stereotype that endures. I oh, was actually indeed. in France just uh, four years ago now making cheese, and same thing. They're like, you're an American like, that wants to work, and more, uh, more uh, sort of shockingly to me, they were just shocked that you know, I was not an obese person right, being exactly. an American. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you know, that's like, you know, it's a problem, but it's not everything, you know. <laughs> right. Got um. But so that's great. So you came back to Vermont, and um, what were you doing in the meantime? Did you, uh, how did you make the jump from going to France to come back to Vermont to starting to make your own goat cheese? Well, I had worked in Brittany. I worked also in the Ardèche. We made picodon, and we I lived on a farm uh, making goat cheese and, and honey. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, of course, a region where there's lots of lavender, so it's great for honey production. Um, back in the U.S., I grew up in New Jersey, worked on a fairly large goat farm taking care of the animals for um, 
a couple who were selling in the uh, goat cheese and um, goat milk at the green markets when they first started in New York City. Oh, wow. And um, I had a connection to Vermont because my grandmother lived here and thought to myself, you know, I really want to do this for myself. And so I kind of wandered my way up here. In fact, ended up here at Shelburne Farms and tried to encourage them to um, start a goat herd and make cheese. Well, that was a little bit far out for Shelburne Farms <laughs> in 1984. But um, I did meet my business partner, Bob, and um, he had just gotten an MBA and wanted to get into the uh, dairy business. We were both working at the Agency of Agriculture and uh, so we started the business together and are still partners today. That is, yeah, that's yeah. an incredible story. Sometimes uh, partnerships like that in your life are just uh, kismet, you mm-hmm. know, two people in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And so um, can you tell us a bit about how your business is, has grown over the years um, from being a very small kind of, uh, you know, hands-on operation when it was just you and Bob to what you have today? Yeah, we started um, in... Uh, converted a milk house on the farm where I live today. There aren't any animals. There are a few um, dairy heifers there. But, um, and uh, I made the cheese seven days a week, and I collected milk from uh, backyard goat farms that had to get a license to ship milk, uh, and away we went. We didn't have enough money to um, buy a farm, and we weren't married, and Bob had a family of his own, so it wasn't practical for us to do farmstead cheesemaking. So we, our premise all along was to have a creamery and buy from farms in Vermont. So we had to develop that milk supply and really um, try to get farmers to want to produce milk for us, goat milk. Yeah, that, and I imagine that was not an easy uh, hurdle not, to and overcome. It's still, it's still a, a difficult hurdle to overcome. Um, if you, you know, at the time, since nobody ate goat cheese and there wasn't much milk, we had to... Uh, we we started the business with bank loans and um, needed cash, so we started making creme fraiche. Um, and that seemed like something that we could do easily because we were able to get cream. Mm. And, um, again, Americans really didn't know very much about creme fraiche. Consumers didn't eat that. But French chefs in New York City certainly knew what it was, and we brought it to them, and they said, yeah, we're about buying local, and you guys are doing a good job. And so that was really what the business that, that fueled the, the growth of the goat cheese. That's really interesting. So chefs, you know, I guess we live in an age now where chefs are kind of more famous than ever and have mm. more influence than ever. But, you know, without those early adopters to kind of, you know, be interested in these types of products and educate people through taste, um, none of this would have been possible. That's right. That's right. So, so wow. So you've grown from having a predominantly uh, wholesale uh, business to, to restaurants in New York City, and now, you know, you're, you can find Vermont butter and cheese products all over the place. Um, how many different farms do you work with uh, currently to source your goat milk or, we, or your cream and everything? Well, we have about 20 farms here in Vermont. Um, we buy some milk from outside of the state, also from um, co-ops, but... Here in Vermont, we, we contract directly with these farms. They can be milking anywhere from 50 goats to 500. And we have someone on staff who whose sole job is to work with the farms. She's out in their barns every day helping them with nutrition and breeding and uh, business planning and um, genetics and uh, 
And so that has been a real help to the farms to produce quality milk. That's amazing. So in addition to being a business partner, um, you are a partner in education and a partner in um, just developing a solid farm in yeah. general for these folks. Yeah, it's without the milk, there's no cheese. So <laughs> we, we're, we're heavily vested in, in their success. Yeah, yeah. No, that's an amazing reciprocal relationship that I just don't think exists in many other businesses. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's really incredible. Mm-hmm. And so over the past, so 25 years, so you've grown to working with that many farms um, you're supporting a huge number of uh, of small family farms across the state. I mean, that's you, you just have to be so proud about that. Well, it's a good feeling, you know. Although we try not to overstate um, what we do, it's it's still a difficult business. Um, you know, some of them are more profitable than others, and, you know, Eve farming today is a very entrepreneurial activity. It isn't one-size-fits-all. So we, um, we, we don't want to give farmers a false sense of security or hope that if they start milking goats, they will automatically be successful. So um, it's, a, it's a process. It's been long a uh, long evolution of the industry, and um, boy, we're f- a lot further along than we were 25 years ago, but it, ju- it really feels like there's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Over the, you know, so you've got 25 years of wonderful history behind you. Where do you see sort of the next uh, steps for you and your company and your, uh, your farming endeavors here in the state of Vermont? Well, I think that um, I would characterize our business as having spent 25 years sort of getting ourselves uh, prepared for a marketplace that is um, ready to buy these kinds of products. Um, For the early years, we sold almost exclusively um, to restaurants because it wasn't a consumer kind of product, and we certainly didn't have the resources to educate consumers. Um, now, that said, uh, we slowly grew the business, and um, we, we enjoyed the slow growth because we could then train ourselves and train others into how to make good cheese and, mm-hmm. um, you know, provide a consistent product. Very fast growth is risky, although, um, you know, we've, uh, we're, in, we're in pretty good shape if to grow now and to really be able to get these products out there. Our experience today is people really want fromage blanc. They uh-huh. want to, you know, have high-fat cultured butter Yay. that's really flavorful and does wonderful things in pastry and, and sauces. Um, they're not afraid of eating fat. So we're just trying to make sh- brace ourselves for... Um, uh, being able to provide that. And, of course, there is a lot more competition. There are a lot of other people doing what we do, so it's mm-hmm. not as if they're all going to come knocking on our door, but, um, but um, it is a changing and evolving market. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I know that a lot of these farms present at the Cheesemakers Festival today, um, it's very tough to get their cheeses, whether it's in Vermont, uh, you know, whether it's out of the state or even right here in their own backyard. Sometimes, you know, the, the demand just so far outstrips the supply. Have you guys felt that as well at Vermont Butter and Cheese? No, we, um, we haven't um, because we, can, we buy cream from the St. Almonds Co-op. They're a small... I'd like to call them kind of a progressive co-op um, near the Canadian border. They provide um, RBST-free cream for Ben and & Jerry's and Stonyfield. Mm-hmm. So we've been lucky to be able to sort of ride those coattails a bit. And they, they will make very high-fat cream for us. Um, that's not usual to be able to, to buy a sort of customized product. Um, and um, they have cream, so um, so that's good. The goat milk um, we can grow slowly, but um, you know I think that what we try to do is um, be selective about the kinds of customers that we want to target, those that we can service well, um, that will are willing to pay a little higher price for the cheese because we you know we we pay more for milk here typically than other parts of the country so yeah yeah absolutely well that's uh that's uh just amazing that you've built built that um almost that culinary vocabulary into people's um you know day-to-day lives um you know be it a product like crumb fresh or cultured butter or mm-hmm. your goat cheeses um that's just amazing now You've uh, you've also just written a book, isn't that right? That's right, in a cheesemaker's kitchen. Okay. And really, the premise of the book there were two things um, that we wanted to do. One, and probably most importantly, is to um, really give consumers um, ways to use these products every day. Um, we are not pretentious. Um, we don't want cheese to be something fancy. Uh, and so I use creme fraiche in everything, and it tastes great. And people say to me, why does this taste so good? Well, it's creme fraiche that I put in there. And so we want everyone to know about that. So we created a book with a bunch of recipes that are very simple to make. Every recipe has a nice photograph, and we asked some of our chef customers to contribute, and we kind of thought, well... We wonder if they would go along, and they did it so willingly. It was just really gratifying. Um, Eric Repair and Dan Barber and Michelle Richard and um, um, uh, Mireille Guillermo, and so it was just really, really nice to have those big names in the book because at the end of the day, they're the ones who really sell it. Sure. Um, not Vermont butter and cheese. Sure, but we also told our story, and it's very short and sweet. But it's—I felt that we wanted to tell the story of bootstrapping this kind of uh, pioneering business and how we did it 25 yeah. years ago, where there wasn't a market and it wasn't forgiving, and nobody really cared about American cheese. Terroir and local vorism were not part of our vernacular, so it was Foreign just sort words. of a funny. Yep. So, um, and just a little bit about cheese. How is it made? Yeah. So. Yeah. That, well, that's fantastic. You said it's called In a Cheesemaker's Kitchen? Yes. 
That, uh, and where can people find this well, book? Well, um, it will be in stores in September. It's um, published by uh, Countryman Press, which is a um, division of Norton, and um, I think it's actually listed on Amazon now. So Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So anyone out there who's ever wondered what the heck to do with Creme Fresh, yeah. I know it was certainly on my list of, like, scratch-your-head ingredients <laughs> for many, many years. Um, now, you know, you can go pick up a copy of In a Cheesemaker's Kitchen and have, uh, you know, inspiration at the ready. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us, and above all, thank you for, you know, making these wonderful products and um, and aiding and facilitating all these cheesemakers for coming together. It's just been a wonderful experience. Well, it's great. It's great to be able to package a little bit of Vermont and put it out into a larger marketplace and just watch the people come. It's just been really, really great. It was something that that was that was it was like the water broke and the baby's being born <laughs> and you know we needed to do it this year so it's great absolutely well can can we look forward to another one next year do you I think I think so we'll look at the website it's vtcheesefest.com and we'll put a date up there soon so that's great well Good. thanks again for being on the show and uh, enjoy the rest of your your day thanks ann okay thanks Allison. Radio Network. Uh, I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and um, our host or our uh, sponsor today, sorry, is uh, Picnic, which is Will Goldfarb's new barbecue adventure, uh, which you can find down in the uh, southern part of Manhattan in Battery Park. Um, I'm here today at the beautiful Shelburne Farms in uh, in Vermont for the Vermont Cheesemakers Festival. Um, the only, the second of its kind, but uh, Allison assures us there will be more on the way. Um, and our next guest today is uh, Mark Fisher, who is a uh, wonderful cheesemaker and a good friend, and also a member of member and uh, you know acting uh, uh, officiary. I don't know what I would say of the Vermont Cheese Council. Yes. Hello, Anne. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. So uh, it probably was, uh, I don't know, we, we said it was a little bit of a welcome escape to get out of that coach barn for a little while. It was getting kind of steamy in there. Yes, it was. And you get tired after a while of serving people cheese. <laughs> um, and uh, what kind of, what cheese, can you tell us a little bit about the, the cheeses that you make and what you brought with you to the festival today? Well, we are primarily a sheep dairy, so we make cheeses from sheep's milk, uh, although we've we have extended our product line by buying cow's milk uh, during the winter months. Um, so today what we had with us it was a Bloomy Rhine cheese made with sheep's milk called Summer Snow, which is available. Which is in, absolutely delicious. <laughs> and you can find in lower Manhattan at Saxelby Cheese. But, um, and then another cheese we call Timberdoodle, which is a mix of sheep and cow's milk. 
And now, Timberdoodle, can you just tell us about the name for that cheese? Because I get people coming to the shop all the time that look at it, and then they do a double take, and then they're like, where did that name come from? Some people think it's another breed of dog, some are mixed with a poodle and something else. But uh, (laughs) No, it's actually the name of our farm is is Woodcock Farm, which comes from the original owners of the farm. Uh, They had gone out of the dairy business years before we were able to purchase it, but... um, and so just uh, playing off of that, we, it's funny because I didn't actually know. I think someone must have told us. But uh, the bird woodcock is often referred to by uh, people in New England as a timberdoodle. And so there you have it. The name of the cheese is timberdoodle. Maybe it makes that kind of sound when it uh, no, flies. No. It's <laughs> like a wood chicken or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, the cheese is very, very tasty. Um, and, uh, no, it always uh, sort of brings a laugh, so I like, I like selling people the Timberdoodle. Well, the names are important, and they're always tricky to try and come up with, but it's fun. My, I think my all-time favorite from you guys is Humble Pie. Yeah, I just, I, well, you know, that's a, a name or a term you hear a lot, and it's just whenever I heard it, I thought, well, that's something I think I'd like to make a cheese you know, that would resemble that somehow, and finally we did come up with something that fit the bill. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so how how has this uh, festival been for you? Are you uh, are you pleased with the outcome? Are you shocked by the number of people that came? Are you, uh, yeah, what are your impressions? Well, I think it's great. I mean, we're a small producer. I mean, I would think that probably 75% of the, what you hear of the Vermont cheesemakers are all very small producers. Um, so it's, we have mixed reactions to lots of customers because we don't have a lot of product for all the customers. But on the other hand, it's always, uh, well, it's, it's a moral support type thing to see that the audience for cheese making and cheese production is, is so broad and, and you really get... You know, and, and, and people are very enthusiastic about it. You know, they want to know more about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And, um, you know, some of them have traveled to Europe, so they bring that into play. And they're beginning to see their, your own, their country as something as like what they've seen overseas. And so and all those things help support your uh, efforts day to day, which you go back to the farm and, and some days it's it's actually very pleasant to go back to the routine of the farm, <laughs> but um, you remember this event and how many people came, and uh, and and at the same time, it's these these events are always great for us because we get to be in the same room with all the other cheesemakers who we don't often see uh, enough. In fact, a few of us decided that we needed to have a festival of our own without any customers. Big <laughs> any, old dinner party, no customers. Yeah, no, you guys are definitely, cheesemakers are, are kind of like the foodie, you know, dork equivalent of rock stars. I mean, you guys make delicious products. People are really interested in um, farming as, as a way of life and, and how, you know, uh, just the alchemy of how cheese is made. So to be able to meet the cheesemaker is really a big deal, Um And it's funny, we were actually talking about um, the cheese festival sold out. People were being turned away at the doors. There were no more tickets. And there was actually... Rushing the fences. Yeah. yeah. It was a a nonviolent day, luckily. (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, there was actually a bus that came up from uh, New York City organized by, by Murray's Cheese. And, um, you know, it's like Woodstock. We were talking, you know, it's like the equivalent of people going to, like, a, con- a rock concert. They're coming to see the cheesemakers and eat cheese at Shelburne Farm. It's really incredible. Um, yeah. <laughs> you don't see yourself as a rock well, star? No. <laughs> no, not quite. But, uh, <laughs> no, I... I, I see the similarity somehow and I, I think that uh, well there's, there's obviously a big interest now in, in all the food movement and uh, the cheese production represents a certain a, a good part of that um, and I, just hearing you talk a little bit about making the comparison between between people who've traveled to Europe and then people coming here and recognizing cheese as being something that's uh, every bit as good um, Vermont is very unique in its kind of uh, density of artisan cheesemakers. And I think, at least in my mind, it seems like the Vermont Cheese Council has a lot to do with that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Vermont Cheese Council and, and what it does as an organization? Uh, yes. Uh, the council is uh, basically a framework for all the cheesemakers to be involved with. Uh, you know, We have a website that uh, gives everyone a page, and so it's sort of a central location if you want to find out about cheesemakers in Vermont. Um, it's listed in different categories of milk, per, of milk types and cheese types. Um, it also acts as sort of a, oh, a, a vehicle to be, represent cheesemakers at different events that are held in Vermont. Um, you know, it's been growing. It's primarily a, a volunteer organization. You know, speaking of Allison, she was actually spear, or spearheaded the development of the Cheese Council as well years and years ago. Okay, okay, yeah, um, she is like a, a, a Vermont yeah, cheese powerhouse. We just, yeah, we just sort of wait to see what she does next. And we follow, follow <laughs> too. Um, it, it, like for instance, this festival idea. I mean, we've talked about it for for years, and and every time another state would have a festival, we'd all grumble and say, well, if they can have a, have a festival, we should be having a festival, but. These things are very difficult to organize, and without the infrastructure of uh, Vermont Butter and Cheese and Allison's help, we wouldn't. It, this would not have happened. We, as the council, are certainly uh, glad to support uh, this uh, type of activity, but it was well beyond the scope of any kind of volunteer group. Um, but the council still tries to represent uh, Vermont cheesemakers as best as possible and as evenly as possible. I mean, um, well. It, It's funny. As time goes on, the organizations change. In the beginning, it was all about a lot of volunteers, and when there was an event, people would volunteer to show up and volunteer to, you know, give their cheese away. And now, as time goes on, we're trying to get a more of a paid director, someone that would be specifically responsible for those types of activities, and uh, and people have gotten more involved in their businesses, so it's harder to get away and do uh, so much volunteer work, but. um, the, yeah. the council still is, is is really the center point of uh, Vermont cheese. Now, in addition to doing sort of marketing and doing the kinds of things that you're talking about, um, you know, have, making sure that Vermont cheese has a presence at lots of different events around the state, um, is there also a kind of, um, I don't know, are there any resources built in, like a forum for cheesemakers to come together and talk about different issues that you might be having or sharing, you know, uh, so-and-so has some equipment for sale or so, you know, how does, does it work well, to benefit the cheesemakers within the council as well? No, I would say 
pretty directly no. I mean, <laughs> we we have tried those things. We had a chat line that we chatted one night, and I don't think anybody ever got on it again. <laughs> um, and you know, it's more of a for those types of activity. Although there is, in fact, that's my responsibility right now. As the council is in, in charge of uh, technical assistance, so we have some resources for. Uh, assistance. We have brought in cheese uh, profession making professionals that we've held workshops. Uh, now we have a, a resource here in Vermont, which is unique, called VIAC, which you may have sp spoken about. We haven't bit. spoken about it yet. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that as well because VIAC. What does it stand it's for? It's the Vermont Institute for Artisan Cheese, and uh, we there are some. Uh, there's a particular young French cheesemaker there who's who knows more about cheesemaking than probably, you know, all the people in Vermont together. But, um, <laughs> and, and it's a unique resource for us here, as well as they're available for anyone across the country, but, um, you know, we do have them right here in our backyard. But so they become the, the, the source for most technical assistance. Um, but the council, again, we do have some funds that we can funnel towards those types of activities. I think we need to... We, as I said, we need to grow and we need to make those things more accessible somehow. But even as just a, a resource as it exists now, a listing, a comprehensive listing of Vermont farms to, or artisan cheesemakers, it's great. If you uh, Google the Vermont Cheese Council, um, yeah, VermontCheese.com, VermontCheese.com, you can uh, check out the website and it'll show you uh, literally, yeah, by milk type, all of the different uh, artisan cheese producers across the state, and it's a pretty impressive group. Um, it's probably grown quite a bit since you guys started making cheese. It has. Um, I think on the only, in recent years, actually, we've added uh, probably another 10 cheesemakers in the last three years. That's um, great. Yep, it's good. <laughs> there seems to be, you know, as the cheesemaking, uh, although, again, I say these, most of these producers still are relatively small, but I think the, 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 the interest in cheese is growing equally as fast, so there's no marketing issues. Definitely. You guys, uh, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, we don't have, sell all you make. Right. There's not, I mean, I was trying to be polite today, but most of the people had asked me if there was any cheese available. I should have just said no, but I didn't. <laughs> just keep them hanging on. I think someday <laughs> there'll be more cheese out there. Yeah. I'm just You just got to come up to the farm and raid the cheese cave yourself. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I won't well, do that. No, but if people come to the farm, they, they get first, <laughs> they get better service. <laughs> So, um, well, let's see. I mean, so has the has there uh, has it been exciting to you to be a part of the conference? Are you glad you came? Are you uh, do you have a, a good day? Do you sell a lot of cheese? Um, it's been very exciting. Uh, like I said, I mean, it's fun to just be with the cheesemakers, uh, talking to them about you know some of the issues they've had over the summer. Um, we haven't sold quite as much as I had hoped, but it's not a, a forum really to sell that much when you have 40 cheesemakers together. I mean, everybody makes good cheese, uh, so that spread that they're gonna, spread the uh, love around. They're going to be buying other products, and and it's also a place where you know I, I, I'm finding farmers markets this year to be very good, and because people are more and more coming to them for the purpose of buying their uh, weekend or week supplies, um, and here they were, you know, they want. As they started at the beginning of the line, it might have taken them two or three hours to get to the final cheesemaker, and the cheese they bought in the first one might be melting in their bag by the time they reached the end. So I wasn't even encouraging really purchasing cheese until you were ready to leave. <laughs> but, um, 
that's that bodes well for me. I can I can take more back in uh, right that's back right. in my car. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, again, these types of events are are wonderful to have, and uh, you know, I'm sure that we'll can try and continue to do it again next year. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, you know, get out of the, the sweltering coach barn and up here to the more breezy right. farm barn. A fan. Yeah. We're not fans, but a fan. So <laughs> One fan is better than no fans. Right. Um, well, thank you so much, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, next year's festival and hopefully uh, some delicious aged sheep's milk cheese in the meantime from Woodcock Farm. All right, Ann, thank you. All right, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, Cutting the Curd is sponsored today by Picnic, uh, Will Goldfarb's delicious new barbecue venture down in Battery Park. Um, and we are engineered by Nat Wiener and produced uh, by Jack Inslee. Um, we are broadcasting live today from the Vermont Cheesemakers Festival, which is up at Shelburne Farms in Shelburne, Vermont. And um, we are lucky enough to have Alec Webb with us, who um, has been with Shelburne Farm for quite some time, who is going to talk with us a little bit about um, the history of Shelburne Farm and what makes it such a unique and uh, wonderful place. Thanks for being with us today, Alec. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so can you, uh, can you just kind of give us a, a – well, first of all, what do, you, what do you do for Shelburne Farm? What's, uh, what, how long have you been here, and, and how did you become involved with it? Uh, well, let's see. I'm the president of, of the nonprofit organization that is responsible for the stewardship of the whole property here and for um, offering all the educational programs that, that the farm sponsors. And I've been in that capacity since 1988. Wow. Um, but prior to that, I actually was involved in starting our first summer camp program in 1970, just getting out of high school. So I've been here a long time. So are you born and raised Vermonter? I was born in Burlington, grew up on the farm here, and my, I'm descended from the, the founders of Shelburne Farms. Um, it, um, it was my great-grandparents who came to this area and put together the property as an agricultural estate, but my generation was the one that um, urged my father to put it, the whole property into a nonprofit environmental education organization. 
Wow, wow. So, yeah, uh, William Seward Webb, I guess, was the, uh, fa- was the founder of uh, Shelburne Farm. Is that- he and his wife, he married Lila Vanderbilt, so it's her inheritance, basically, that they used to create this, this incredible property. Wow, okay. In the 1880s. Wow, okay, okay. And so um, at that time, uh, this, of course, has always been one of the most beautiful parts of, you know, Vermont and the country and anywhere in the world. Um, but uh, how did this particular parcel come to be in the, um, you know, how did, they, how did they come upon this parcel of land? What was, was there anything here before or? Uh, it was a, a series of small, it was a small farming community along the lake uh, in the 1880s. And uh, I think he was working for his father-in-law. Um, I should know the exact story, but I'm not I'm, a little weak on the history, actually, but it's funny. But anyway, he was coming up um, to this area, and, and they eventually were looking at purchasing the, the um, railroad system that, that served this area. Um, oh. But they also, I think, liked to come up to hunt in the Adirondacks. And, but they just fell in love with this particular part of the world. And After she inherited um, her fortune at that time from her her father, they, they used that to, to purchase um, these farms in this area because I guess the agricultural community was having a bit of a hard time economically, so they were able to to acquire quite a land holding here, almost 4,000 acres. 4,000 acres. Yep. Wow. And is the 4,000 acre, is that still uh, the size of Shelburne Farm today, or has that changed? Uh, the nonprofit of today owns 1,400 acres. Wow. And, um, and, and kind of a land trust type situation. That's incredible. And I was also reading that um, uh, of the, the acreage, 400 acres are uh, certified um, uh, by the Forestry Council. Is that right? The we run an, um, a sustainable forestry operation um, that produces timber and, and firewood. Uh, and then, but our, our, our main agricultural activity is the, the Brown Swiss Dairy that is a grass-based dairy operation that produces milk for our cheese-making operation. That's fantastic. And how big is is that herd? We're milking close to 120 cows right now. Okay, that's yeah. a, that's a lot of milk. Yeah, yeah, we're on the large end of the artisan cheese making scale, I'd say, in Vermont at this point. Yeah. So it's funny, as I was kind of learning a little bit more about the history of, of Shelburne Farm, I was kind of um, drawn to certain parallels, you know, uh, especially with Blue Hill at Stone Barns. It seems like this was like, you know, 100 years before the fact. Um, your family was kind of having the same idea of, of building a farm that was built around conservation and, and stewardship of the land and now um, educating people, um, which is pretty, uh, pretty fantastic and pretty, pretty rare. Um, so, in addition to the dairy and the forestry, can you tell us a little bit about the education and sort of more community-based um, programs mm-hmm. that you guys do here? Yes. Well, we um, offer a whole range of, of, of um, opportunities for the local community to enjoy the working landscape here. But the the reason the nonprofit was created was to offer. Um, um, programs that would really raise consciousness around environmental issues and environmental stewardship, and hopefully, the, um, what goes on here at Shelburne Farms would help inspire a, um, a, a conservation ethic. Is kind of our current mission statement. But by that, we we mean much more than just conserving land and natural resources. It's really it's how do people interact and use 
and care, carefully and thoughtfully that. those resources to, to maintain a healthy environment for, for not only people but all living creatures on, on the earth. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's really that's really noble, especially because I mean people think that an, um, they can feel kind of detached from how they can make a difference or make a decision that's going to be beneficial for the environment um, if they're not farming or if they're not directly involved somehow with the land. But um, that's that's amazing that you guys have taken that step to kind of put it in you know everyone's consciousness. Well, we we try to offer as many ways that people can have meaningful connections with either farming, agricultural practices or operations in, in natural resources and in, in nature, just um, thinking that, and starting as, as, as early an age as possible, that those kind of experiences really translate into a, 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 um, a conservation or environmental or a sustainability ethic, whatever word you want to put on it, but really a, a um, and understanding, once you understand where things that support your life come from, then you're more apt to really care about taking care of them. Absolutely. And so how old are um, the kids that are involved in, in, in your uh, education programs? Is it from kids to adults, or is there... Yeah, we have programs for um, starting from preschool right on up through adults, but our, our primary focus has been on working uh, with educators uh, because that's really the way to... Um, reach the, the broadest audience um, um, really around the world. We um, try to give educators the, the skills and resources that they can use in their own communities to create meaningful learning opportunities uh, using the resources in their own communities. Um, so you're serving as a model that then can be, you know, hopefully, you know, with the right sort of uh, mental tuning can be applied to any, any place that... Yeah, we've had just this last week. We had um, some educators from a college in Japan. Um, our program director has been involved with the exchange of educators in China and Japan in this country, working with our partner, the Institute for Sustainable Communities, and it's really looking at education for sustainability internationally and, and creating a network of um, educators who all are kind of working towards that same outcome. That's, uh, well, more and more, I mean, everyone has to be concerned about it because the world's resources certainly aren't getting any uh, more plentiful <laughs> by the day. Yes, yeah, and, and healthy food systems really underlie healthy societies, so that that's kind of ties it back to, you know, if we, as we work towards developing a, and being part of a, a healthy local food system in our own area, that really, that, that's a universal need um, all around the world. Absolutely, and in the end, it's uh, you know maybe it's it's more fun to to watch a cow get milked and eat a piece of delicious cheese than uh, you know sit through a, a you know an hour long movie about you know uh, about, about climate change or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, you're really showing people that you know how it how it happens and letting them enjoy that directly in the in the cheese that you guys produce. Yeah, and also and for kids to in this area to be learning about our the woodlands and you know in in their own neighborhoods and backyards as opposed to the more abstract you know concerns about um, rainforest destruction whatever but if you start from where you are then they can as they get older they can take in those those broader more global environmental concerns yeah yeah well and this 
this might be a bit of a, an odd segue, I guess, but I was just thinking about trees and woodlands and, and um, the, you know, how I'm woefully ignorant of a lot of that kind of stuff. I actually just bought a book the other a day about uh, tree identification in North America because, you know, I realized I really don't know that much. And this place especially has an incredible um, landscape. Um, the, the grounds uh, were designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, is that right? Uh, yeah. And I, actually, I was just looking at the recent National Geographic magazine where they had New York, Manhattan in the 1600s and Manhattan today. But looking at Central Park, you know, it's what a significant piece of the island that is. And, and I was thinking about Olmsted and his involvement here. And the, the, the Children Farms is, is another one of those special green spaces that, that really is valuable, I think, to our society. Even though we're not obviously in the urban environment, environment of New York, we're still, this place is, as development keeps happening around us, becomes kind of more of an oasis that, that is pretty special. Yeah. And you personally, what was your kind of, um, what was your passion, you know, uh, growing up? Was it more the farming aspect? Was it more of the nature and conservation? Um, what, what inspired you most with regards to this place? And uh... Uh, Well, my main memories are helping around the, the dairy operation uh, as a kid during the summer haying and um, doing chores. So it was really it's pretty simple. It's just growing up in a beautiful place around the uh, the working farm operations and the the, uh, the, the people who are working on the, the farm were, were strong influences on me and I think I just developed a kind of a, a love for this particular farm and, and land and that's translated into um, wanting to, to see it offer wonderful experiences to as many people as we can and to keep a tradition of agriculture alive and to um, um, have this place become a, a, a resource for learning about caring for the environment. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So, in forming the nonprofit, um, it, you said it was you as well as, as some as your siblings, or um, how yep. did that come about? There were six in my generation, and we were. I'm right in the middle, so I was. I turned 18 in 1970, so we were all kind of coming out of the 60s and had the, the common experience of growing up on the farm and, and, and caring about agriculture and the land, um, but also a, a concern about what was going on in the world, in the broader world, and um, just concerned that if um, that the normal course of events would see this place become a basically a high-end subdivision, um, and that just didn't seem to be... A, a direction that any of us wanted to, to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's uh, congratulations. It's uh, it's it's an amazing place. The first time I was here was for um, the American Cheese Society in uh, 1997 when it was in Burlington, and um, or no, 2007. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, just coming up to the the breeding barn where they had the the big cheesemakers festival, I was like my jaw was dragging on the ground behind me that such a place of beauty would be open to you know such a wonderfully warm you know community events. It's a uh, it's just a really special place. Yeah, yeah, and the you know one of the challenges, of course, is figuring out how to make it financially sustainable as well as environmentally sustainable, and that's how the, the the cheese fits in, and that we 
uh, there had been a dairy herd here um, for, for many years, but um, we first started bottling raw milk as a way to add some value okay. to the milk in the late 70s, and then we, that evolved into the, the cheese. Um, and the advantage of, of going with the cheddar cheese was that we could turn the raw milk into a you know, not non-perishable product, but a product that was a lot more resilient in terms of getting to a broader market than the raw fluid milk. Um, so that was the early 80s. And it's still, today it's a really important part of supporting the nonprofit venture and every dollar that you know, our customers spend on the cheese goes into supporting the, the, um, the idea of this place and our education programs and, and keeping the whole venture moving yeah. forward. Yeah, and so and you know the cheese is a uh, cheddar cheese, of course, is like you know Vermonters, like you know, it's in their bones practically. So to have that connection with the, an industry that rings so true with much of the state is very a uh, special connection too. Yeah, it's a it's a great cheese. You know, I mean, they, oh, it and, is. and we're, and you know, there are also a lot of. I mean, the cheeses at the Coach Barn today, there are just so many great um, soft cheeses or other. Um, Beautiful um, artisan cheeses, and, and the cheddar for us, it, it we're kind of you know the farmhouse English tradition. I think we're building on, um, and it just um, it just seems like a, a good traditional cheese. And and with our scale, which is larger than a, a typical artisan operation, it just seems like a a, a cheese that we could do really well. Cheese you can do well. Like you said, you can store it and, and age it, and it gets better as it ages, and you yeah. can use up all that milk because, yeah, 125 cows that's a, or 120 cows, that's a lot of milk. Yeah, we're making it. Of course, we're pasture-based, so we aren't really we aren't pushing grain feeding, so our, our yields aren't what they might have been if we were just a commercially-oriented dairy. Um, but it is a lot of milk. Yeah. Well, if I, if I, if reincarnation's real, I hope I'm reincarnated as a brown Swiss cow at Shelburne Farm because they uh, they have it good. I, I was walking around the pasture this morning and it's just beautiful. Yeah. Well, they're a great animal, and we also are kind of our in terms of the economic sustainability, the the tourism, the kind of ecotourism is another important aspect of the farm. And so we're we're kind of like the Swiss model in a sense. We're our, our inn and restaurant. Um, is open from May through October, and um, people come here really to enjoy the beauty of the landscape and the mountains and the view across the lake. Um, and of course, so we've got the brown Swiss cows and cheese making. So it's kind of a little. It's a whole. You know, it's the the a, Swiss have been, in a sense, of kind of a model for us. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. No, that's that's a whole. It's a whole package. You can come and stay at the inn, eat at the restaurant, you know, um, be able to learn a little bit about food production, uh, enjoy, obviously, the beautiful nature. Um, it's a, well, I mean, all I can say, I guess, is thank you for opening it up to, to um, you know, such a wonderful myriad of, uh, of experiences, and thank you for, um, you know, hosting events like this, because it's really just, uh, I was talking to Mark before, and we were comparing it a little bit to Woodstock, you know, all the people coming up from the city and, and just making this pilgrimage to eat good Vermont cheese, and uh, to be able to do it in a venue like this is just great. Yeah, well, these types of events just um, fit so perfectly here, and we're, we're all very pleased and honored to have so many great people coming to the farm. Yeah.
Well, I think um, we are almost out of time. My, my usual half-hour show has become an hour today because we had such wonderful, uh, fascinating people to talk to. But thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, um, to tell us about the farm and the history and everything you guys do here. Great. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Really Bye. appreciate it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see you next uh, or two weeks from now on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, stay tuned. <laughs> 